Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 391. It's a very big day. Today, Sunday, August 4th, the day that I am recording uh, this intro. Geek Week on YouTube launched today. Uh, the Nerdist channel was uh, producing with a bunch of uh, YouTubers some Geek Week programming for a week. And uh, go to youtube.com slash Nerdist right now, and you can see uh, today we posted uh, Slash's 10 Favorite Horror Movies and an animated version uh, from our friend Jackie Dan Show, who animated a bunch of Nerdist podcasts, uh, who decided that he wanted to animate Patton Oswalt's filibuster rant from Parks and Rec. So that's up right now youtube.com slash nerdist go check that out lots of programming also i'll be doing stand-up in the month of september in minneapolis and san francisco uh and boston go to nerdist.com slash calendar to get tickets info on that and the 12th doctor was announced today peter capaldi uh who is kind of a legendary veteran uh british actor who's uh he's a scott uh, was in a band with Craig Ferguson called the Dream Boys in the early 80s. Uh, so if you dig around, I'm, I posted a link to it on my Twitter feed. Uh, just the, their album cover is <laughs> incredible from the early 80s. And uh, also, he played um, Malcolm Tucker in the thick of it. Uh, he's been in a million things. He's been, he was actually, uh, he was in Torchwood, Children of Earth, and also was in the same episode of Doctor Who that Karen Gillan was in, The Fires of Pompeii. So, uh, He's a fantastic actor. Uh, yes, I am excited about it because it how, how it's been so long since there was an avuncular doctor. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think uh, I think he's going to be fantastic. And of course, I'm sad to see Matt go, but we're always sad to see them go. But happy when uh, when a new guy comes in and and d- takes his his turn on the doctor. I don't know what type of neckwear. What could his signature piece of clothing be? Could it be uh, tails? Uh, could it be uh, leather gloves? Or spats? Or a tie made out of a uh, squirrel? I don't know what it's going to be. Um, but I'm sure that we'll all be wearing it at Calibrate 1 and all the cons next year. So in short, very excited about Peter Capaldi. You should be too. Change is hard. That is the nature of Doctor Who. We must move on. Uh, and so we shall. 
I would like to thank for sponsoring this episode of the Nerds Podcast, Stamps.com. Um, okay, pretend that there is a pile of money in your hand, and now imagine throwing that uh, into a garbage disposal and turning it on with the water running and just hearing it uh, turn to sludge and then go down your drain. Now, that would be a lot of fun, because if you could do that and not care about it, you're a millionaire! Congratulations! But if you're not, uh, that is what you're doing when you're leasing one of those expensive postage meters for your small business. There's a better way. Use stamps.com. All the benefits of a postage meter. A fraction of the cost. Use your own computer and and your printer or your printer and get official U.S. postage. Any envelope, any package, any class of mail. No more trips to the post office. Everything you need right from your desk with stamps.com. So there's a promo code, as you know, special offer, no risk trial, $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale up to $55 of free postage. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Nerdist at stamps.com. Enter the promo code Nerdist. This episode is Michael C. Hall, who I was thrilled finally came on. Uh, I didn't, I, you know, I met him at a party last year and sort of poked around it. Never thought it would actually happen because I'm sure everyone now goes up to people and goes, "Hey, will you come on my podcast?" But it did happen, uh, and he came on. And uh, this, he was first of all hilarious. He's an, an hilarious man. Yes, I said an hilarious man. I'm using that article, uh, that antiquated article. And then uh, also, um, this episode uh, got real in points, which we've been doing lately. Uh, I mean, I feel like we always did that, but uh, I feel like it's been happening more lately, and uh, I'm kind of enjoying it, and I hope you are too. Of course, we're, we're mid-swing into Dexter right now, if you're listening to this uh, August 5th, which is when this is episode's going up. Um, so this is the final season of Dexter. Uh, it's got to be weird after all these seasons to just let it go. And um, and so, uh, very you know, sort of tying the Doctor Who. Uh, the, the 11th Doctor's leaving and Dexter is leaving. And, oh, and then Cranston's leaving, Breaking Bad, which starts next week. is a very... Oh, it's We're saying goodbye to a lot of things this year, a lot of characters that we love. But uh, Michael C. Hall was uh, was terrific guest. And you shall enjoy the Nerdist Podcast number 391 with Michael C. Hall. Now entering Nerdist.com. That it's already podcast. started. He's not allowed. I want you to know, Chris, he, uh, he tried to sit in your seat. Uh, we stopped it. <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, you got these guys trained. <laughs> yeah. 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 I Just got for that, to, though. like, here. I'd say a foot and a half away. And it was like, da, 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 da. You know, I don't really care where I sit. I always just sit here because... Maybe I feel like it would mess up the rhythm. It's a power position. That's why you sit there. It's not. You Is it? We're you in a square table. Like a mob yeah. boss. Yeah, you're, you're where the... You're where the the maid guy sits. Yeah. Well, That's in, where I like to sit at a restaurant. In, in The Art of War, on the chapter on podcasting, it always said to have the corner at your back because that's a stronger position. Yeah. Well, I say I have the worst seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snipers. <laughs> open to snipers. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we can push you out yeah. the window. Oh, but I do have that. You got, you, got that. A, you got a Pete Holmes. You, you have an oil painting protecting. Mm. <laughs> I, have, I think I take this seat because... I can see when people come up the stairs if someone wants to come. I don't know. It just, it just, I feel like I have power position. I yeah, guess that's true. I yeah, think, yeah. I yeah. Think yeah, exactly. The risers perfect, underneath actually. the chair. Well, Paul Riser is underneath the chair. Paul Riser's there to just kind of give him a good, you oh know, I have, he is. I've assembled yeah. you all for a reason. Mad about shoe. 
Um, yeah, that razor blade lever. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, 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 there, there must be a Dexter panel at Comic-Con this year. There is, uh, on the 18th. That's Thursday, yeah. Yeah, Hall oh. H. Yes! How many more episodes are there? <laughs> How many, I'm sorry? How many more episodes are there? There are uh, nine to go. Three have aired. Shit. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. So it's be the and last we just sector. wrapped it up. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah, it's the end. That feels weird to me because to me, in my head, I mean, I've watched since the beginning. It still feels like, oh, it's a new show. I'm like, no, it's been on for like seven years. Yeah, I know. People are like, oh, God, it's it. Well, you guys had a good run. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, come on. We actually did have a good run. I mean, eight, it's, beyond that is rude. <laughs> I mean, it feels, are you listening, like, Frazier? <laughs> Would you no, he's probably not. You're thrilled. <laughs> probably not. Doesn't You're care. thrilled that Frazier went for so long. Eleven seasons. The last two were in eight. A spinoff, too. Yeah. No, I mean, come on. But then those last three seasons, you get into like fuck it money, where they're like, here's a million two an episode. Just just keep doing For the 26 show. Six episodes. Oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. I mean, that's uh, mind numbing to consider. Until you think about the money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the money. Yeah. You'll toss all the salad and scrambled eggs you want. <laughs> I just think it's I don't a, know what I would do. I, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know. That you go to. Like, how could you get mad at anything on the set at that point? You're like, hey, how come this coffee's at. Ah, I just made a million, too. Yeah. Yeah. Does yeah. it even matter at that point? I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I find that being an actor, one thing one thing that's nice about it is if you act with the just baseline modicum of civility, people are like, he's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a tyrant. <laughs> you know, like people, I, one of the things that I, I won't miss um, from Dexter is how many times a day people say, sorry, but sorry. Sorry. Uh, you know, if, if they uh, perceive sucks. in any way that they're in your path. I about five years ago, I fixed your computer at the Apple Store. Oh yeah, you had well, like, yeah, the top, <laughs> case, the top case. How many dick pics on his computer? Seventy. Seventy dick All pics. All of the same dick, just different angles. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Yeah. He's trying to make a three D image. Well, yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah. I actually made a flip book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to animate it. And he actually yeah. and he he goes said, up, it goes down. He said someday three D printing technology is gonna catch up. And it did. Yeah. yeah. And he was right. He was yeah. absolutely right. This is sort of funny though when people. No, he's very nice. He wasn't a dick then. No, when... thanks for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah. There's something funny about when people tr- try to like telegraph your emotion that it actually kind of puts you in that mood. Mm. Like, oh, you mad? I'm sorry, you mad? And you're like, I don't know why I'm getting mad now. Yeah, maybe that's what before. happens with actors. Everybody starts to like. Yeah, you should be sorry. <laughs> why isn't everybody apologizing more? <laughs> I think it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I think people just take, I think people, it's, uh, this business in particular is sort of a a festering chamber. And I think sort of whatever you take into it is going to fester. If you're a nice guy, you might become a nicer guy. If you're a douchebag, you'll probably become a bigger douchebag. Yeah, yeah. And I do think maybe people were more inclined to say sorry over the course of Dexter because hey, he's thinking about killing people. He's thinking about <laughs> how much is seeping into his psyche. Oh, sorry, <laughs> yeah. How much of this? You know, but I, I always, I, I am, a, I always like to talk to actors about this, where they is the, the idea that you can portray a character and it might access parts of your brain or your emotions that you don't really want to. Yeah, yeah. That you don't really want to understand. Where you start going. 
Oh yeah, I guess this sort of makes sense. I mean, this guy is just a guy. Yeah, and the the theory that there's some part of your brain or some sort of your cellular recording apparatus that uh, doesn't distinguish between real life and ritual. Right. You know, and that there's some there's some part of me that <laughs> thinks I really did all that. <laughs> there Even is- yeah. There is a bit of a weird thing that happens when you watch like a lot of episodes of Dexter in a row or a lot of episodes of Breaking Bad in a row where you kind of you're watching this guy just constantly lie to people and have this other stuff going on that you you kind of feel that way when you walk out into the streets you're just like oh I could just lie and no one will be the no one will know and it's like well, it's as an real, actor you could do yeah. that anyway you're, you're yeah. basically conditioned to oh yeah I could just lie to people and it that's what work. acting is professional lying <laughs> it is professional lying in a weird sort of way it's, right. It's, and and somehow convincing yourself within that that you're telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <I think. laughs> it gets very gray. It gets yeah. very gray. But it's uh, but it is also you know coming up six feet under or Dexter or like you know these are just like really complex layered characters yeah. where you you spend a lot of time in your own. Well, head. yeah, I certainly think after thirteen years uh, all told with those two characters, maybe uh, I haven't been discouraged from being uh, <laughs> a navel gazing scatterbrained. Um, <laughs> But uh, doormat. I don't know. Your next your next project has to be just some weird frat guy comedy, like one dimensional, just to, almost as a sorbet to like you know to cleanse yeah, a little bit. That's a good title. <laughs> you seen that frat comedy called Sorbet? <laughs> <laughs> it's like this French. Uh, it's, a French yeah, yeah, it's, it's a French. Yeah. It's a French. Yeah. It's a he's a, yeah, he's uh, on an exchange. Foot in the D, I yeah. believe they uh, yeah. they call it over it's there. It's a frat that has to go sober. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. No more beer, says the dean. <laughs> is it? I mean, Man. It, it must be kind of nice though that <laughs> when that when that sh- that show takes up the majority of your, your year, I would imagine probably almost all of it, nine or ten months, maybe, right? Uh, honestly, no. It's it's more like half the calendar year. Really? Yeah, but I don't know. There, it's it's a constant presence. Uh, you know, it's you're still if you're going to do another season, somehow uh, tied to those train tracks. Yeah. Waiting to be run over again. I don't mean to sound <laughs> negative. <laughs> so you spent six months doing it, and the other yeah. six months fearing doing it again. Six, yeah. six months in Long Beach is a long time. It is. There's a lot of trips to Long Beach. Lots a lot of there. early morning, yeah. early morning trips to Long Beach. Wait a minute, that's in Miami. No, in what? fact, in fact, when we go to Miami to get B-roll footage, we look for places in Miami that look like, like Long Beach, Beach. <laughs> so it'll all match. You just need like an ounce of authentic Miami stuff. Like just go, go it for goes the a ports. long way. Oh yeah, I, I mean we would go once every two years, and I'd drive around and change clothes again, and drive around some more, and just look preoccupied, and <laughs> think about blood, and uh, this is all the VO at that point. Yeah, yeah. What are yeah, you yeah. doing right now? Just think about blood. Yeah. What's up? Blood? When in doubt. You're filled with blood. Think about it. <laughs> Feel it. Think about it. You like it. <laughs> I mean, for a show, th- th- this show has that type of narrative structure where every year you kind of have to. Well, this last threat was the worst threat that we had ever seen. Yeah, this there, next you year, always we gotta up it again. You have to up the. I mean, I think we upped the ante up to a point. Mm-hmm. I don't think we were ever going to have a big bad as formidable as the Trinity Killer. Right. So really, the the. Dexter was traumatized as a character, and the show was sort of traumatized in terms of what it was. Yeah. And so it became and has moved towards maybe something else. That definitely changed its course. But, yeah, yeah, you have to either up the ante or 
reboot the system or whatever the that hell lift you guy say. was amazing strong i wasn't i wasn't <laughs> expecting to like uh the big bad after like smiths like jimmy smiths i thought was oh like, miguel prado just, but just the the insanity of that character arc oh yeah was remember insane. that scene with them on the roof oh when he's like shit, when he am i allowed like, to curse yeah yeah <laughs> he's like i will fuck you back and he yeah. made that gesture hitting his bicep oh. it was yeah it was insane that was yeah, some of the most fun I had on the show was actually playing a character who could act as if that didn't scare him. <laughs> you know? it's like that, that's the most fun. Like, I'm unfazed. <laughs> In real life, I'd like, I shit my pants. Smits does not age either. Yeah. That guy, he was He's on a- fucking L.A. Law. Yeah. yeah. In like 85. Yeah, and he looked like that. He Wait, looks exactly yeah. Wait, insane. I thought he worked for the New York Police Department, Blue. Nope, yep, nope. He's done it all. Smits. So when you're working with these guys, Captain Antilles, he's a great guy. It is your show, ultimately. It's your show, but when mm-hmm. but when guys like Lithgow come on, are, are, is it intimidating at all, or do you sort of feel like, it's, oh, this is my house? It's it's, it's you know in the same way that um no, it's not intimidating. It's invigorating. It's like pinch yourself. You know, the first time I was in the transpo van after one night where John and I had both shot for the first time, I was actually seeing him come out of a parking garage. So we didn't exchange any dialogue, but I got in. It's just like. How is this happening? You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'd always admired him, and um, yeah, it's like in the midst of something beyond your imagining. It's a heady thing. Yeah, that's some raising cane, Lithgow. Yeah. Oh, so. <laughs> well, he brought the dark back. You know, he uh, he'd done the Broadway musicals yeah. and the sitcom for the ten or fifteen music. years, but he was the yeah. The t- in fact, in Long Beach, a lot of times parents would come out of their houses with uh, books of his uh, banjo music. Oh, oh really? And uh, he'd awesome. sign them. Yeah. Was it, sign of Trinity Killer? Was it dog? Yeah, yeah. he's done it all. Yeah, it was dogs. pretty trippy well, within yeah, a make yeah. within the context of making yeah. that show, seeing the kids <laughs> flocking to him. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's well, an incredible guy. Well, he's too. Just, he's one of those guys that's of that sort of era of actors where they basically did everything. They do really broad comedy, but then also just get super focused and. And dark and creepy and yeah, yeah, he's just fucking amazing. Yeah, he's really able to convey an amazing spectrum between silliness and horrifying. Yeah, and managed to even work in well a lot. I think Trinity was so great because he was silly because yeah. it was John. Yeah. Like the way he sat there watching the football game before he broke his kid's finger, kid's oh, pinky God, finger. Dude. He was like, oh, what a play! <laughs> you know, it's just like, this guy, you know, it, how, how can all that co- coexist? But he makes it plausible. <laughs> so what do you think is, you know, like when this is all done, do you, do you want to take a break? Do you want to do something wildly different? Do you want to, what, what do you think is, what do you think you want to do? Both of those, yeah. I mean, I think, I think my wants are pretty defined by what I feel like I ought to want. I'm not sure what I want to do. I'm actually going to go do another movie in upstate New York, um, sort of an epilogue about a guy who in the first scene uh, shoots an intruder in his house. Whoa. So I'm going to go and uh, do a little epilogue uh, playing a real person who kills somebody and had no desire to <laughs> and see how that goes. In a way, I think I can atone for my sins. But... Yeah, people people have been asking like, how does it feel? How does it feel? I'm like, ah, it feels you know, it feels sad. I feel vaguely depressed. I feel happy. I feel relieved. I feel prideful. But I think ultimately, I was thinking today, I repress how I feel as Dexter. You know, that's kind of his thing. And 
I'm sort of feeling like, oh, God, it's all just kind of hitting me. Yeah. I just pretended to kill a lot of people. <laughs> and it was fun. You got to go to pretend jail now. Yeah, yeah, pretend jail I don't in upstate to... New York. Yeah, well, and then also, you, you, I mean, in a way, you're basically... You know, you're killing him in a sense. Like, he's basically this guy that you've been carrying around that's going to not be there anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's the classic actor thing. But if you've been doing it for eight years and your idea of the character and acting are fused somehow when it goes away, it's like, okay, now I can be myself? Who's that? (laughs) I was actually, I was thinking the other day that you, um... All the stuff I think you process in retrospect, I don't think you can really identify it when it's happening or as yeah. it's happening. That it's like I wonder, like you know, when you look at kingdoms and eras, and they go, oh, "It was a golden age." Did they know it was a golden age at the time, or just in in, in way in retrospect, did they look at the look at the data and go, "Oh, I guess this was a golden age." Like you just don't know at the time until you look back and and can and get some perspective. Yeah, on it. I think the prevailing feeling at work, like towards the end, was just all of our individual projections into the nostalgia we know we will at some point feel. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just kind of like, "Yeah, this is going to," but, but in the moment, yeah. you can't really process yeah. it. When you do the Dexter TV movie in twenty years. Yeah. It will be called Harrison, and I will have died, and I will be the ghost of Dexter. You know what I would do? What? I would just be what your character would say to Harrison... Oh, Harrison's right, right. coming to terms with being a serial killer. Right, right. That's good. And it's yeah, almost can like, I use that? You know what I would do? No, you can't. Okay. You can't use it because <laughs> you scoffed at me when I said it. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I wanted to know <laughs> what you would more. do. He thought there was you more. You know what I would do? I would say, you know what I would do? <laughs> right, yeah. right. There is a sort of this weird Jedi thing where it's you and Harry and then and then young, you know, like the dark. Yeah, and it just mm. keeps going and it, eventually yeah. it's like Russian dolls. <laughs> You're all nesting inside each other. Generations of murderers. Um, Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do in your free time? What do you what what what, how do you how do you scrub it off? Um, I've got a trip planned on the Appalachian Trail with some uh, cousins and uh, my uncle. That's not until March, but I'm looking forward to that. Uh, (laughs) A long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Try to exercise. (laughs) Try to be as boring as possible. (laughs) Do you feel like you're boring? Do you think you're boring? Um, no. Not at all? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Do you think I'm boring? No, no, no. no. I, uh, I, don't, the, I don't have a lot of hobbies, I'll confess. You know, I could be better about that. Yeah. My, my hobby is, is my work. I mean, well, it, actually, that's not true. It's my vocation but um it was a hobby that then became a career <clears throat> yeah i mean that's i know true. That, i know that's the idea like, i know that's sort, sort of. of the perfect scenario is like hey turn your passions into your career is there any part of it though where you go no oh, but then it's a chore and then it's work and i don't know i mean i definitely feel like i'm getting away with something having a career as an actor um you know um i just hoped that uh i'd be able to go out to dinner sometimes and and uh you know, support myself as an actor. Anything that's happened beyond that and beyond like working consistently in the theater is sort of beyond anything I imagine. So it's pretty heady. I mean, I, I, I feel really lucky. I'm definitely, um, you know, carrying around some dark characters, but my life wouldn't make sense if I didn't get to do that. Well, and it's <clears throat> not a lot of people can go from one show 
That's a hit show right to another. Yeah, you're not supposed to. I've <laughs> stepped in shit twice. I mean, that's the sort of that. That's that's the Cranston thing too. Like, oh, he did. A, oh, and then he did this other thing that was They're totally not, different. Not than different, very, yeah. very different types of shit, though. <laughs> Two, yeah, 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 yeah. One's uh, lighter. Yeah. More. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I'm gonna stop. One's named Frankie Munitz. Yeah. It is. It is pretty fun to watch. You know, like if you, if you, if you were to watch. Uh, Malcolm and then Breaking Bad back to back, and you see the and and I think he does Broad amazing. I think he was so great on he Malcolm, was hilarious. Yeah, but then to watch how fucking subtle he is on Breaking Bad, where you're just like, I can't even fathom how did he react in that moment? Where did that come from? That was just the slightest thing that right. you know that he was able to 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 turn on. Yeah, well, the, everything's different. It's a completely different context, completely different story. You know. Do you feel like that the do you feel like that the environment sort of informs the character, or do you feel like the character in this case sort of spills out and well, I think the, environment? the character it would definitely would inform the environment more than average on a show like Dexter because it's subjectively told, you know, and you're you're encouraged to see things through his eyes and you're implicated because you hear the voiceover and everything, and you're kind of on the ride with him. I mean, you know, I've heard people say about this season like. Why won't Deb just get over it? It's like, <laughs> like good lord! They're not it arguing really about works. money. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, you didn't owe her. You owe me twenty dollars. You haven't paid me back. Yeah, and that's that's you know all due to the fact that we're just sort of maybe increasingly in spite of ourselves. I don't know. I think the affection for the character has been challenged, but you're still kind of hoping he manages to work things out. I, what do you think it says about our culture that? Almost every protagonist on every great show that I can think of is fatally flawed mm-hmm. in some way. You know, whether it's Mad Men or, or Breaking Bad or Dexter or, or, or Game of Thrones, like anything. Ray Donovan. Right. Any, yeah. any, any, any character, any sort of main character now is really fucked up inside. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's just uh, people do what works what worked what has been working there is more of an, an appetite for more than just one i mean tony soprano is there and everything followed yeah um in terms of the current trend of anti-heroes i mean yeah it's it's really the way to do a show now it seems though it, that might not be that might be waning i don't know yeah well, because it just seems boring when someone's just good-hearted through and through i mean yeah you know, it's like Superman. It's kind of boring. Yeah. Audiences discovered an appetite to be given permission to identify with characters who are more inherently flawed, as we all are, and I think relished it and sort of want more of it. It feels feels more real. Yeah. You know. Have you gotten any weird fan letters like, you really justified my desire to kill people? Like, is there any sort of weird element to that? Um Thankfully, no. I mean, I, the, the, I guess the thing I get sometimes is, um, you know, I got somebody who you could, you know. Oh, Jesus. And I, I say, stop right there. <laughs> Don't tell me. You know I'm a actor playing a character. <laughs> no, no, for the most part, people seem very, very much aware of that. Or, or, or they're just... They don't have... The people who talk to me don't have skeletons in their closet and don't feel like they would... Uh, be a worthy victim for Dexter, so they're just happy to say, you know, go get them, buddy. <laughs> We're all for it. Have it, at it. It is. It is <clears throat> setting up the setting up a system that basically allows people to accept murder. It's like, oh well, he's killing the worst people in the world, so it's okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, 
in as much as people are desensitized to that fact and questions about responsibility and everything, you know? I mean, I certainly um, think about what the show might be reinforcing, and um, I think ultimately it's not a primer to yeah. be a serial killer or advocate the <laughs> lifestyle or anything. But, yeah, if you're seeing things from his point of view, he's certainly, uh, in his way, desensitized to murder. So I guess you will be, too, if you take the ride. Well, I just think, <clears throat> I just think as, uh, as a narrative story, it's to, to take any bunch of fucked up circumstances and then, and then try to find humanity in the most fucked up circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a real artistic challenge and that's and if you can get people to empathize with that person that's that's a really cool thing to be able to do yeah and it, it maybe it sort of uh feels good if if in the midst of all that suffering you can derive some sort of meaning from the story being told then, yeah then maybe life and in, has inherent meaning everywhere yeah uh can, can you i could totally cut this out if you don't want to talk about it but you you survived cancer. Can you? Are you willing to talk about it at all? Sure. Um, probably the one thing that I and then it's also because I've been watching all the Breaking Bad episodes over again to get ready for the after show. Yeah. And every time I, it's it's very hard not to like, you know. It's basically I just think of that as like, well, that's the worst news that you could get. Yeah. Um. I it was towards the end of the fourth season and I had these swollen lymph nodes in my neck and I thought maybe it was a cold because I had a cold but it was unlike my normal cold and I went the doctor took a look at him he told me to come back in two weeks if they weren't gone and I came back in two weeks and the next morning I got him taken out and the next day I found out while I was driving down to Long Beach that it was cancer but I was immediately told it was you know something that was given my other prognosticators and their ability to treat this kind and the stage and everything that I, I was going to be fine, you know, like 93% chance. So immediately I was like, well, I have JV cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that because my father died of cancer and you know, it, it really, my, my sense of survivor's guilt, I was like, man, it is really deep. I get cancer too, and my first thought is like, yeah, but it's not like the kind he had. <laughs> oh, what was the kind? Of- <laughs> These crazy dad issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Had- Never live up to. Yeah, and I've done two characters who are uh, have conversations yes. with their internalized dead fathers. <laughs> oh my god, that's true. Yeah. I mean, do you, is it? Is there any part of you that is there any part of that that's cathartic in some way or odd or or? It's cathartic up to a point, but after a while, it feels like you're tilling soil that's long dead yeah (laughs) no i just mean like it's you know it can get indulgent if you don't separate it from it to a degree if you play a character that long sure um but you know in the end i feel blessed to have you know been called upon to explore those issues in 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 my work and as much as i have been yeah because most i mean most people with with other occupations are never going to be in a situation where they can actually Oh, pretend that you're talking to your father, and what would that conversation be? And like, yeah. no one ever gets, you know, like the people just don't get that closure. They just, yeah. they just ball it up. Yeah. So you knew right, you knew right away that you were gonna, you were probably gonna be okay, and it. But it's yeah, still... I did. Um, I, I yeah, I didn't mean to. Well, I didn't mean to, but I did sort of divert from no, that's the story. Okay. But, but yeah, I did. I mean, it, it was amazing what you can make room for. That's what I learned. I mean, I found out, and it's like, okay, well, I guess that's what's happening. And what do I do? And you know, I got. An opinion and three three second opinions, 
second, third, and fourth opinion, and uh, decided on a course of treatment. I did six months of chemo um, every other week. And, but, you know, the, my doctor impressed upon me, like, you know, when, like when my dad had cancer in 1982, there were four chemo drugs, and now there are over 100. And um, in terms of kinds of cellular abnormalities, they call cancer. You know, I had um, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So, you know, it was, it was a specific condition, and I was encouraged to believe that immediately. And was, you know, my mind was more at ease as a result. I mean, it wasn't fun. Desmond Harrington on the show, mm-hmm. I t- when I told him about it, he was like, eh, you know, you're going to have wet pants. You're going to have wet <laughs> pants for like six months. I mean, having wet pants sucks, but, you know, it's not going to kill you. Well, that, was, that, was that weirdly comforting? <laughs> yeah, it was good. Whenever I felt bad, I was like, eh, it's just wet pants. <laughs> it's not a big deal. So irritating, though, wet pants. But does, it, does, yeah. does, does something like that, does everything else become not important or do you crave to care about dumb shit like oh i just want to only worry about things that aren't life-threatening i you know i i i had the luxury of of dedicating the time of my treatment to nothing but my treatment i was it it coincided with our hiatus and uh i wore a wig for the fifth season because my hair had fallen out uh but aside from that, I, you know, I was, it was in remission and I was feeling good again by the time we went back to work. So, you know, I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to have all these epiphanies or whatever. But really, it just became about like, okay, let's just do this. You know, what do I have to do today? And, you know, you just get through it. But I, I'm, I felt lucky to have good health insurance. I felt lucky to be off work, you know. And do you feel like that's how you approach most of the stuff in your life? Are you a pretty easygoing guy in that way? I don't know that I'm easygoing, but I I don't know. There's probably, I probably, when things get tough, there probably is some sort of stoicism that kicks in. I probably got it from my mother. Yeah. I wish I had that. <laughs> For some reason, I tend to freak out until it's not, and then I don't have to freak out about it anymore. And then I'm like, oh, I guess I have to freak out about that thing. But I think a lot of people condition themselves to think that they have to freak out about stuff rather than just being able to step back and. Yeah. Well, you know, if you freak out about stuff and and stuff ultimately always works out, there's probably some trick your mind plays. Like I do have to freak out, otherwise it won't work out. Only if I freak out, where there will there have been no reason to have freaked out. It is a slightly. I think that I think there are shades of. There's a little OC. It's a little bit of OCD, I think, which Mm -hmm. is that idea of, you know, when you're in a situation that you can't control is finding things that make you think that you're in control of a situation that you're actually really not that much in, right. in, in control right. of. Right. Yeah, that's just like when I have to put my keys at the corner of the table, otherwise I think I'll die. That's the same thing. <laughs> you may be joking. Are you serious or are you kidding? No, every night when I go to, like, I had them up, like, I was so fucking tired and I was just getting into bed and I realized that yeah. my keys were, I was like... Oh. That's your thing? You have to put your keys in the corner of your they table? They have to stay, they have to be on the table that the mail is on. <laughs> like, yeah. const- otherwise... Like, I, I can't go to sleep. I'm like, everything's going to be fucked up the next day. And I also have to cross the street in a certain spot. It's a weird thing. Don't worry about it. Well, that's okay. You're just giving us t- tips on if we want to kill you. Like, yeah. we just know what to yeah. upset in your life so yeah. that when you go to your table confused about where your keys are, then yeah. pop, that's where we get you. If you park yeah. a car weird on the street, I can't cross where I need to cross, and that's a whole problem. I dated a girl that used to think it was funny that 
you know, when my she would reach over when we were eating at a restaurant and just slightly move the knife askew a little bit because I'd be like, don't do that. Like, I'd always have to move it back. And she thought it was hilarious that I could never just let it be. That's not very loving. It's, it's, well, <laughs> it didn't work out. It yeah, didn't fucking work I'm not out. Surprised. God damn it. The fuck was her problem? Can't the knives just be straight on the napkin the way that they're supposed that just, to be? That just sends that electric current right down that groove in your brain. Right? It really does. Yeah. That's how Dexter feels when he kills someone. <laughs> I totally get it now. At first, I was like, I don't know if he's a good guy, but you know, now I understand. But he's just trying yeah. to. That's the only time he feels he just anything. Needs his keys to be there. <laughs> 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 so you're very similar yeah, to that character in a way. I'd it's say, yeah, in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jonah. Wait, no. <laughs> so is that essentially the only time that that character feels anything? That's that's basically what he's doing? Is that what he's acting out? Yeah, I don't think uh, that's the place where he's feeling. Um, I think that's the place where he's comfortably numb. That's the place where, at least initially. I mean, a part of the story of Dexter and killing is that his killings become, you know, when we met him, they were just this cold, sterile, make no mess. I mean, he gets off on getting the confession and everything as part of his ritual, but ultimately I think it creates in him a sense of calm. And his kills have maybe gotten more and more personal as the show has gone on. So I guess it's evolved. But, uh,. I don't know, Dexter and feelings. Ooh, don't get me started. I don't know where to start. <laughs> and just think, in a, in about a year, is it about a year? No, maybe about a year. You you will not have to talk about it anymore. Correct. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm like Dexter's press secretary. <laughs> oh my god, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Of course you are. Yeah. Well, of I have to. You I are. have to. I have to keep my mouth moving and give you the sense that I'm giving you an answer without telling you anything. At least when it comes to like, <laughs> when it comes to promoting the That's show. absolutely true. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. You yeah. are the PR guy. Yeah, and I have all these esoteric talking points. I can't tell you how many times I've, sa- I've said, you know, he doesn't wear a white hat or a gray hat, a uh, black hat. He wears a gray hat or, uh, <laughs> or a formidable dark side. Or, um, yeah, you know, people, I've said them today. People relish the opportunity to be given the chance to identify. <laughs> well, with it's hard. I mean, listen, said that I don't so want to make times. you talk. I didn't want to make you talk about Dexter. No, no, time, it's okay. I should, actually I, brought I, it up. I just wanted to talk about it a little bit because I, you know, I watch the show. Separation anxiety. But I also, but I also do understand that, you know, I mean, particularly one thing that I think we like to try to do on the podcast is just get people to talk about things that they don't normally talk about because right. i think it's more fun for well I, I am talking about dexter but i don't normally talk about the fact that uh, i talk about him the way i talk about him so it so. got very meta in that sense word <laughs> <laughs> but then you're gonna have to prepare for it again because you're about to go to comic-con and then it's like that's the nest that's where it fucking happens yeah yeah nobody knows what's gonna happen man it's crazy who does does is, <laughs> Ralph got Ralph, <laughs> Oh guys, I think we just unplugged the Michael C. Hall uh soundboard. We gotta play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Oh, hit gray hat again? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Wait a minute, man. You're walking without a tightrope now. Wait, no, you can't walk without a tightrope. You're you can, walking. You can walk everywhere without a tightrope. <laughs> okay, <I> yeah. <laughs> Anywhere you want. It's just called walking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's the safety net they talk about. Yeah. <laughs> 
walking without a tightrope. That's a title yeah. for a book, though. That's a title for a book. Yeah, walking the guy that just walked rope. across the Grand Canyon. It's, yeah. it's, 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 saying, it's saying something that sounds deep, but actually yeah. has no He's substance. He's walking like, across the Grand Canyon, no tightrope. He's walking very fast at about 9.8 meters per second uh, towards the floor of the Grand Canyon. That's true, it does get pretty steep. <laughs> how do you view the how do you view the world like is it like Whoa. you <laughs> Jesus Christ like our Dave I'm gonna back up and give you some history no no I'm gonna that's back okay. up because you are sort of in this position of cultural power that you may or may not want <laughs> Yeah, no, I could, I mean, I tr- I'm i going to try to use my powers for good. I appreciate that. I- I'm thinking of, like, like Bill Murray is a guy that kind of, I think, is aware that he's Bill Murray and just sort of floats in and out of these weird social situations because he has control over them and people will always let him do what he kind of, what he wants to do. Right. Um, and, and, and I think in certain cases you, you sort of have that same thing. You're this character who's part of our cultural fabric. You can sort of pop in and people will accept whatever it is that you do. So how do you, when I say how do you view the world, like what does that mean to you? Uh, the, the fact that that is at least to a degree true, mm-hmm. that when I walk into a room, if people recognize me, yeah. they're like, oh, yeah. yeah, there's that guy. Yeah, that you're basically affecting people when you don't mean to. I try to, it's impossible to deny it. Um, I try to think of it as an opportunity to maybe give somebody a good experience they wouldn't otherwise have that's easy enough if somebody wants to say hello. But I also try to keep it in perspective and and struggle to or strive to recognize that it's fundamentally unreal or something you know that's, that's more like a spiritual angle but uh i don't know it's uh it's it's again it's like something you make room for i mean i you know six feet under started and i got recognized by people and it just started to happen more you know and and it's a part of the deal i mean i guess it it it, it never really bothers me i think it's only bothersome if I feel like it's impinging on uh, the experience of whoever I'm with. You know? Right. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I could come in and just bust out an Elvis impersonation and then walk out again and people would talk about it. <laughs> Have you heard that story about Bill uh, Bill Murray where he comes up to someone and does... Covers their eyes? It covers their eyes and then he's like, no one will believe you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he runs away. Like, guess who? I don't know. It's like, it's me, Bill Murray. No yeah. one's ever going to believe this yeah, happened. it's pretty great. And then like, uh, popping into karaoke bars in, in New York. Yeah. He'll do that. Yeah. Yep. Wiffle ball games. The guy just... It's grassroots. He just stuff. does whatever. Yeah. yeah. He's really living Groundhog Day where he just can run around and do whatever. Like, the, like, that idea that, you know, at a certain point after decades of the kind of work that he's done and where he... That he I, I think that's the best way to live out the rest of your life is being able to run into a room and fuck with people in a, in a non-threatening way and then leave. And then it's just this weird legend Only form. Well, back to you, what do you want to do? I'm starting to come up with something. I appreciate it. <laughs> is that it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm that's just going to cultivate weird idiosyncratic behavior. All you need is like behavior. 20 or 25 more years of doing stuff. And then I think you, I think you earn that, that place as, uh, Oh, I, so I have to work for 20 or 25 yeah. more years before I start showing up in karaoke bars. Mm. I can't start tomorrow. No, you're not allowed to do that. Okay. That's like walking enough. without you a tightrope. Save me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to go to a karaoke bar, what would you sing? Uh, kiss by Prince. 
<gasps> oh, that's. Uh, a, I would sing Prince by Kiss. Mm. <laughs> Shit, you guys should go up one after another. I would yeah. sing yeah. Two Princes by the Spin Doctors. Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I would sing oh. Kiss Me by Sixpence. <laughs> oh man. See, we're exactly the same age, so these 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 songs populated our our college experience. Yes. That's what I just saw. Um, World's End, Edgar Wright's movie with Simon. Oh Pitt. no way! And it and it a lot of it goes back to taking place in like 1990. Like they're constantly having these flashbacks from 1990, and the soundtrack to that movie is every fucking British alternative hit oh, that really? was that was college. Stone Roses. For me. Stone Roses. And, yeah. yeah, every one of those. Uh, were you, what was your what, what what was your soundtrack in college? What what was your in college? Good. Henry Rollins' band and uh, <laughs> Jane's Addiction and um, shit. You like cool music. I, I had no, I had, no. I had a Belle Biv DeBeau tape. Belle Biv DeBeau was, was different, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I went through a yeah. I was I don't know. I think when I got to college, I maybe discovered music that I hadn't listened to because of you know whatever I missed out in on in high school. So I. You know, I started listening to Pink Floyd in college. I'd never really listened to him in high school. It was a little after the fact. But Where'd you go to college? Earlham College. I always say it in the form of a question because it's a really small school. In, <laughs> and you expect people to go, Indiana. where's that? Yeah. Earlham College? No. Well, <laughs> nothing? Yeah. nothing? It's a uh, little uh, liberal arts Quaker college in Richmond, Indiana. So you should Quaker say... Quaker affiliated. I mean, Quaker students adjacent. aren't all Quakers. You, you should say it... Um, very demonstratively, so that people feel stupid for not knowing. Oh, Earlham went College. To Earlham. Went to Earlham College. Went to Earlham. Well, oh, is that? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Earlham, Una. Oh, Earlham yeah, College. Earlier yeah, Earlham College. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. That's a very Quaker familiar. League school. It's great, amazing faculty. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> what, what, what are what are the what are the Quakers like to coexist with? Well, I mean, you know, there were probably eighteen percent of the students were actually Quaker, but probably like a lot of Quaker institutions, like the more secular side of Quakerism pervaded the community philosophy, decisions made by consensus and things like that. Yeah. And there was a meeting for worship for the college, you know, where you, you know, sit in silent worship unless your inner light moves you to speak for some reason. Sure, wow. sure, sure. Yeah. Did it's kinda you, cool. Did you did you absorb any of the any of the Quaker philosophy? Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think you know, it's 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 a kind of philosophy that maybe wouldn't be able to work at a larger institution. You know, Earlham was well suited to it. Um, but yeah, the I mean, the inclusiveness of their sort of um, uh, spiritual aspect or or worship style is very appealing. Do you think you took that to work with you? Because you did say you're pretty nice to work with on set. Yeah, I mean, if someone's moved to speak, I'll listen to them. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But it's a weird responsibility to essentially carry, like, to carry a show on your shoulders in the sense that you, whatever mood you're in, whether or not you realize it, is essentially going to affect everyone else. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, you know... Um... I, I think, you know, I directed an episode this season, and uh, it was kind of nice. I, I was worried that I'd be, you know, at cross-purposes and feel overwhelmed or whatever, but I wasn't. And it was nice to have to be available to everyone and have to be decisive so that other people could do their jobs. The, the, sh the show and the character definitely allow you to... 
I mean, you guys, when you're at work, you can't just walk over into the corner and stare at the wall yeah. and everybody's like, well, he must need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've been doing that for like seven years. So if I'm in a heavy mood, you know, it, 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 I think it's pervasive, but I think it's more like people just give me sure. space to be in my mood. Sure. You know? Well, especially on a show like that. Like if you're if you were doing a if you were doing a really silly comedy and you're like I have to go stare at the wall. Like, what the fuck is that yeah. guy's problem? Yeah. Uh, how yeah. long? Lighten like- up, Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, lighten yeah. up, Kramer. Jim Kramer, Mad Money. Oh yeah, that's yeah. what he's talking about. Um, did, was that directing an episode something you had been trying to do for a while, or is it like it was until this season? You're it like, was, I should do it before it's done. Yeah, I, both. It was an invitation that I hadn't taken advantage of on a couple of, of occasions because I had other commitments that didn't allow me to do prep. Oh, and yeah. then another time I was just like, I'm too tired. I don't want to do it. And this season I realized it was the last chance. And uh, yeah, so I, I did it and I enjoyed it. It was it was uh, yeah. you see more that fun of, than I was afraid it wouldn't be. Yeah, because you see that in, like Mad Men and uh, even yeah, Breaking Bad. It's like common. it's like yeah, those the, you know. But the thing is, like those are bigger ensemble pieces where it's like you know you are always on camera for the most part. True. And so it's like I'd imagine it's like even tougher just because it's like you have to keep your shit in order as well as everyone else's. Yeah, I mean if you've been doing it, it it, it sort of was an invitation to be you know it's not like doing a movie where you're playing the character for the first time. You know I've been playing. Yeah. So you, it, it was almost a a chance to be a little less precious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just and and you know trust your instincts and get that done because you gotta get the day. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, you know the world pretty well, too. Yeah. And I know what it looks like. I mean, while I couldn't look at shots, I know the look at the show. And even when I'm on the show, if you do a show for that long and you watch it, you you know what you're in. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know what it looks like. And also, <clears throat> it is, you know, even though the show is called Dexter and you're it's a, you're the central character, it's a pretty fantastic ensemble cast. Incredible. Of, of people. Everyone yeah. is, is fantastic. I mean, and there are, you know, so many actors on our show who could you know, be stretched in ways that they're maybe not stretched on the show. I mean, there's so much, like, deep acting talent in every one of those people. Yeah. Yeah, the, actually, even just this this season, there's been such funny scenes between, uh, you know, the characters Quinn and Batista, where it's just like... It's I like, love those guys together. Yeah. I think my favorite, my favorite uh, shot in the... In the um, episode i directed is just them getting out of the car and walking down the sidewalk <laughs> together because they each of them in very different ways have such distinctive ways of moving <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny yeah. there's been a couple of scenes with them this season where i just uh i just go fucking spin off with just those two guys yeah i just make it a comedy or it's just those two guys as like you know cops in Miami. It just it would work so well. They're, yeah, it, they're, it's like like you said, it's just very different things going on when they're in the scene together, but they work so well. Yeah. Um. So all the episodes are shot now. Now they just have to roll out. Do you sort of feel like it's just a waiting game now? It's like oh, just wait for these to come out, and then it's all gonna be. I don't know. I mean, it's it's particularly interesting because it's the end. So you know, the the final episode will be airing. So that's that's. Uh, exciting you know in a, in a unique way but uh i don't know it's nice when the when the episodes air you feel like you're working when you're making them and they air and you kind of feel like you're still working even though you're not working anymore yeah um but yeah it's it's that time of year i mean i've been blessed to be able to say that you know uh it's it's become a part of the calendar you know the show coming out how much of a responsibility do you think 
a show has to its audience where, you know, you look back at finales and as an audience, you kind of want them to answer. They're never going to answer every question that you have in your head. Right. But then there's also the Sopranos ending where it's like, eh, you decide. Yeah. It's up to you. Yeah. You know, whereas Six Feet Under is like fucking the, one of the best well, ways to end the show ever. Well, that's probably the spectrum between something that isn't definitive and is. You know? Yeah. And Six Feet Under was sort of teed up for that, you know? I mean, every show started with a death. It's- I, that finale was great because I felt when I read it, and I think people when they watched it, it was simultaneously a shock and so obvious. You know, it was like, oh, of course, oh my God, they're doing this, <laughs> yeah. and it and it yeah, it works so they're well. All dying. Well, because yeah. it's 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 you 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 sort of get to play the card, which I'm sure a lot of creators want to play, which is like. We get to kill everyone, but in a way that's totally acceptable and organic within the story where everyone's like, oh my god, yes, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Matt worked in a funeral home. I did. For four really? years. Yeah, for four years. What kind of stuff did you do? Uh, I was a funeral assistant, so I did everything, like right. removals and bombing and butt stuff. stuff. Like right. Butt stuff. <laughs> Some butt right. stuff. You know, you gotta plug it occasionally, throw on the rubber boxers, have a good time. Sure. Oh, you really do, don't you? Yeah, it'll leak. Of course it'll leak. Oh, man. Yeah. Your muscles aren't doing the same thing yeah, anymore. They're, they're, actually, they're, actually, they're doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they're you're, deteriorating. You're walking without a tightrope. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's the title of my <laughs> memoir about working in a funeral home, walking yeah. without a tightrope. Playing it safe. <laughs> I thought your memoir was going to be the Myra Method, that's a How to Be Self-Destructive. That's my, that's my self-not-help book. Oh, okay. That's my unhelpful self-help book. You've worked so... <laughs> You've worked around so much death-related material yeah, in the last 13 have, years. No, not you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Um, but uh, what do you mean? Well, it's just, it's just it. Just kidding. Do you feel? It's... <laughs> Son of a bitch! <laughs> Son of a bitch! How dare you on my show? This interview is over. How dare you take the reins? <laughs> These are my reins. Come on, let me sit over there with you. <laughs> you want to just squeeze in? No, I'm not. You want to see what it's like in the yeah. non-captain captain's chair? I want you to. Pull that razor blade lever. Do you ever? Would you ever want to do something like this? Do you? Do you like doing host-driven stuff at all, or do you? It's you, fun hosting. So I don't know. I've never really thought about it. I like free-form, long-form, conversational style. What we're doing. Yeah, that's fun. Have you gotten to do a lot of it? I don't know. I did. Uh, I, I've done some. You know, uh, some of the longer-form, like public radio, longer-form interviews and stuff. This is a little more um, decidedly boisterous or I feel so boisterous now (laughs) tell us us a little bit about when Dexter's feeling um, near the end is it good? well I think it's a really uh, stew of things Um, you know I think the spectrum has broadened between his his darkness and his light and as he's moved toward uh, you know more nuanced and, and, and cultivated sense of his humanity the darker side of his nature becomes all the darker because now we're watching someone who's becoming a human do these things and it really implicates a, you know you know you were fucking right that's actually a really good answer yeah that's good that's good <laughs> he's got them all cocked <laughs> it's all cocked they're and loaded all, they're all in the chamber yeah he's ready I was gonna say Button number 12 <laughs> does I think you gotta know about Dexter <laughs> when you but just the idea that you know you've for 13 years you've done these characters that are so like that hover around death and then you know you had this experience and uh, which 
obviously worked out okay, but do you feel okay about your mortality at this point? Is it, did it condition you in any way to like, ah, eh, you know, it's everything's will be fine. I don't know. I mean, I think I have, uh, I'm inclined to sort of gallows humor or I don't know. Um, uh, the, the fact of my, your and all of our inevitable death is <laughs> something I'm theoretically comfortable with. It's kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of funny in a way. Like, yeah, there's nothing I mean, what, anyone can fucking do about it. There's you know? no alternative. There's no alternative. Yeah. It just is what it is. It's the common denominator. Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're all going to die. Good night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael Z. Hall says, <laughs> you're all dead. How did you? Why, why was he in a 20s newsreel all of a sudden? <laughs> I don't Michael know. Michael C. Hall says, you're all dead. This just in. Everyone's going to die. It's just a fun... That's what our boys think overseas. Yeah. Say hello, boys. <laughs> You'll swallow anything if I say it like this. <laughs> Take that, Mr. Hitler. Yeah. Things are going well overseas. Back home, it's in. everyone's having fun. The Danceteria. <laughs> Get your victory gardens ready. Oh, the Danceteria? <laughs> where you have to dance for your meals? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Were Times just, were tough. Were you just doing the trumpet with the... Yeah, thing? that was a, some sort of a company, a band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that was a slide. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, a mute. Oh, a mute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's that, and then that's then it goes into a Tommy Dorsey orchestra thing, and then we come back and talk about. It. I think Dexter be would have been a fucking amazing radio play. Mm-hmm. Dexter would have been a fucking great radio play in yeah. the forties. Maybe that's one of those I things. Don't think the forties were ready for Dexter. <laughs> no, well, okay, maybe thematically. <laughs> I gotcha. Maybe not. But. That would be a really irresponsible way to use a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> you would, you would r- shake up the world. <laughs> What's bugging you, Dex? Uh. <laughs> I'm going to just get in all the dark passenger stuff, and then just kids are crying next yeah. to their radios. Yeah. We really couldn't, as a culture, there must, there, there, there must have been a layer of darkness in our culture that people just didn't acknowledge or talk about they i mean pushed it, it yeah. down they did yeah. smush it yeah. down along yeah. with the, feelings there's and... that story of like the day that the bbc ran out of news and they just played piano music which oh. happened in the 30s I that'd think? be great if like you know fox yeah. news just like well that's it <laughs> nothing today folks <laughs> yeah. enjoy yourself yeah. except this world it's organ it's just a girl in a hula hoop just staring dead eyed there were organ stores in every mall Yes. And they went away. Right. There used to be one fucking organ store in every mall that oh, had yeah. all those there giant... There was always an organ store, yeah. And then you could hear, like, the... Dun, 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 and then, like, yeah, the guy the who worked there would play them. And to, like, you get lured in, and everyone had those giant fucking organs with all the switches, and then they have completely vanished. Yeah. What did they do with all the organs? Where did they go? I imagine people are still buying organs. They're all at the Rose Bowl flea market. Yeah. That's where they are. They would have had to have been disposed of somewhere. uh, There was a period, there was a a chunk of my life that I distinctly remember between the 70s and the 80s where every one of my parents' friends had one of those organs in their house. Well, organs and pianos were, like, it was De required rigor. for, yeah, it required furniture in any house. Yeah. Was, you know, that's like, you look at so many old pictures. That was the entertainment. What? That was the entertainment. Yeah, yeah. play it. Yeah, exactly. Those organs were the internet at one point. That's all we had. <laughs> Don't compare everything to the internet. <laughs> it is. I thought you didn't want me to compare everything to organs. I was, uh, <laughs> I was on organ for, like, three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. It's sucking up your life, he bro. All of his, he's spending all of his time on organ. And I don't mean... What's your, what's your favorite, what's your favorite sub-organ? Uh, Samba. Samba. 
<laughs> Although now I can't listen to any of that. If, if I ever hear that music, it's still like Sex in the City has just ruined, has ruined, like it's always just that now. And I'm like, whenever, if I ever pass a restaurant and hear, dun, 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 oh. and I just expect them to be talking about blowjobs or something. You, yeah, that's that's such a Miranda thing to say. <laughs> You're the fucking Miranda. I don't know the difference. Okay, I don't either. I could I be any of them. I wouldn't be able to tell you. I actually did yeah. watch a fair number of those those episodes. Yeah. I went to the movie. <gasps> On purpose? <laughs> yeah. The premiere? You paid to go see it. I went with my uh, lady at the time and like a lot of her friends, <laughs> all but one of whom were female. Really? Yeah. How did it go? It was long. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, you know. I don't know. I don't know what the message was. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what is the message? Hey guys, what are we really trying to say what here with say? Sex in the City 2? If you build a woman a big enough walk-in closet, she'll forgive you for anything. I guess that's true. Maybe. Did they get together in the end? I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Were you yeah, slightly did. pleased that that happened? It was a nice walk-in closet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I understood why she forgave him. <laughs> Do you have time to do you watch stuff like what are you are you a fan do you get to um yeah i i mean when i'm making the show i i don't watch a lot you know to be honest but uh i did watch all of house of cards recently which i thought was pretty amazing um and um what else have i kept up with um the new Sesame Street season is pretty, it's pretty good this pretty year. Tight. Yeah. yeah, pretty sweet this year. I like yeah. the direction. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, darker. It's, it's, well, it's all about directions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Left. They're making Ernie a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> it's pervasive. Yeah. I always thought and only we... Bert knows. No, I think it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Bert I... turns out as his dark passenger. No, I think it'd be Grover. Yeah. I think Grover would be the murderer. No, it'd be Snuffleupagus. No, Snuffleupagus isn't real, technically. He's real, but he's not real to anyone else. He seems like a vision to Big Bird. I think Grover would be I think Grover would be the one. He's, he's definitely got a mind. good cover. Yeah. Wait, I mean, Snuffle- no one would suspect sure. Snuffleupagus. I, I had no idea he was a, a figure. Well, he's, he's not, he's not well, really. He isn't anymore. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah. He was when we were kids, but I think someone determined that uh, having him invisible uh, to uh, adults made him uh, encouraged kids who were victims of sexual abuse to keep their secrets. Oh my god. Some psychologist. Well, because that. that show... So now everyone could see Mr. Snuffleupagus. If you... It, you it seems... Not a fan anymore. Now that yeah. everyone's into it. Yeah. <laughs> it used to piss me off so much as a kid that no one... I, I think it, it did... There was a small bit of childhood trauma when every time he'd be like, he was just here, and they were like, oh, Big Bird, you're dumb. And they're like, God yeah. damn it, he was right fucking there, and you don't give him the... Yeah. <laughs> You'd be horrible at watching, like, Blue's Clues or something like that. It's, it's fucking like... right behind you. <laughs> it's like the reverse of the rage I would feel when I would say, hey, Kool-Aid! Yes. <laughs> and nothing would happen. Nothing. <laughs> that was false oh, advertising. Yeah. It didn't happen, though. That was false advertising. I know, I know. He never came through. Yeah, that that used to drive me up the fucking wall. Well, I'm glad that they. So you're always a real worked up guy, huh? Yeah, I've always <laughs> yeah. been a very worked up guy. Always a very just tightly wound. I was a very tightly wound kid. Right. Mm. Do, do you? you do anything to counteract that? Do you like? Uh... Um, well, I drank all through my twenties, um, mm-hmm. and then Good I had a way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's a common. That's a common way tactic. to deal with that. Yeah. yeah, and then I and then after that I was like, well, I guess I, I think I, I think. The older you get, the less energy you have to really mm-hmm. 
be that tightly wound all the time because yeah. it just requires an enormous amount of... That's a good way to put a positive spin on aging, you know? It's like, <laughs> I just want to get the tired enough to not be bothered. <laughs> oh, someday. <laughs> How do you feel about it? How do you feel? Because we both, we both hit the same milestone last year. Right. How the did big you... four, two. I'm 28. How do you... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. I mean, especially with Dexter. I started that when I was 34. Five, and it just... Zip, Oh, yeah, it keeps going faster. It does keep going faster. People was, are like, you're not old. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not young. Yeah, no, we're in the in-between part yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, I, the I, existence I, period. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. The everyday life of things. Well, it's not until you get to about 38 where you go, oh, there's an end point. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm halfway there. You know, like, that's sort of a bizarre existential Because when you... In your all the way up until about thirty-five, you really just everything feels infinite. I yeah. think. And in terms of your perspective on time, uh, you're so much closer to your death, even if you live to be ninety. Yeah. In terms of uh, the percentage that you have left, and how much you know. Yeah. You know what I mean. And the quality right? of it. Yeah. Yeah. But then also all those things where you start <clears throat> going, oh shit! I guess I. I better not. You you get very precious about not just wasting time because it sort of feels like I really better. If there are things I'm going to do, I should probably do those while I'm still capable. Yeah, just keep working, Chris. Just fill your days up with <laughs> But a work lot of and... things I want to do are work things, Jonah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not like going in the Appalachian Trail, which sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, that's not a waste of time. Not at all. Are you going to are you going to camp along the way? Is yeah. That... Yeah. It's uh like 7 days. And yeah, we'll be Camping throughout. Is it is it a relatively uh, carved path that you, or is it? Honestly, kind of... it's is the 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 plans are materializing as we speak. So uh, it's, I don't know exactly, but it's uh, yeah, the Appalachian Trail is definitely you know people have been on it. It's yeah, we're not Lewis and Clarking anything. To, oh, no machetes. Man, I wish that was a verb. I told you Lewis and Clark that mountain trail. I just I just made my own rule there. You can do it. <laughs> you do can it. do whatever you yeah. want. Lewis and Clarking uh, isn't that when you have sex with a virgin? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Actor Michael C. Hall uh, ate three of his compatriots while on a... Oh, see, I'm back into the radio voice again. Yeah. <laughs> Have you thought about, like... And Lewis and Clark the third. <laughs> <laughs> no. Have you thought about what... Uh... Have you thought about, like... Uh, uh... You're, you're, just, you're just planning this stuff now. You don't even know yet. I, I didn't know that that was even an option of just, like, oh, you can just go on the Appalachian Trail. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, yeah. I mean, you say you don't want to waste time when you get older, and that's true. But then you're then you're left with, like, okay, so what is and isn't a waste of time? Yeah, your whole, your whole, your whole idea of, like, oh, well, if I just sit around all day, that's wasting time. But if you sit around all day and you're in the middle of nature and you're, you're building something or you're doing something fun and experiencing it, on that, then that's not wasting time. Yeah, it yeah. kind of still is. No, it's not. Yeah, it's all a waste. Everything's a waste yeah, of time. Yeah, we're all wasting yeah. time right now. I think we're killing time. When you kill time, you murder success. I don't, that doesn't even mean anything. <laughs> something a guy told me once. That doesn't even mean anything. Well, you kill time, you murder success. How much if you're just co- killing time, you're not doing anything productive. Therefore, you don't uh, succeed at anything. Therefore, you uh, murder success. How many lines of coke did that guy finish before he told you that? <laughs> not as many as me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a coke uh, line. I think that's a pot dealer line. Mm. I don't think that's a coke line. Mm. Anything could be a coke line yeah, if you I say mean, it enough times in a row. No, 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 no. Because when you, 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 you kill time, you kill, you're killing, time, time, time. you murder. Uh, time's time's gone. Tom Petty, Tom Petty, Tom Petty. Yes, yes. Heartbreakers. 
You just keep saying Tom Petty when you're on coke? That's my theory of cocaine. If you do it enough times, you will end up in a bathroom talking about Tom Petty with some guy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That was my line about newsroom. It's so nice to hear Aaron Sorkin's opinions on the news without having to do coke with him. <laughs> 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 but I think if you're watching wow. the show, you are doing coke with him. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except it's more meaningful. You know, newsroom. Have you ever done it? Co- no. Me neither. No, I'm too afraid. It's Me great. too. It's a great drug. I don't... What? It's a drug. If they're all great. It's just... I don't know if that's everything else. Everything else about them is the worst. The actual doing of them. That's why people love them, Chris. That's yeah. why people can't get away. <laughs> <laughs> because of how awesome they are. There's no doubt that they're great. Yeah, if they were That's bad. Great. That's yeah. so refreshing. Oh, it's a terrible drug. Yeah. No, I mean, the, yeah, the more it destroys people's lives, I guess the better it probably is. I mean, <laughs> it's the inverse relationship. Yeah. It's inversely proportional. Yeah. The amount that it will destroy you is inversely proportional to yeah. how, how, how bad it is. Correct. <laughs> You've, have you done it a bunch? Yeah, yeah, sure. What? Not, not for a long time, but yeah, I, I, I've done Coke a bunch. What are you like on Coke? More uh, of same. Yeah, more of same. Just uh, yeah, just I have a lot of ideas. It's like it's uh, the thing is when you're on cocaine, it's like it's you're about to figure everything out, mm-hmm. but you're just never there. Yeah, you're oh, always oh, just yeah. Oh, oh, oh. But doesn't and it... you feel like when you're talking when you're doing coke with friends and stuff like that, you feel that if you just keep on doing coke and keep on talking, you'll you're gonna get there. You're yeah, because yeah. that's the feeling you have of that suspense of just like if we just keep going, we're gonna fucking. I've everything. never heard it described yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what's to... that's the fun part of it, you know. Let's do a Coke episode Never. where we all take Coke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Could you be prosecuted for that? No, no, it's an episode. <laughs> and it's gross, you know, and like the, the more you're doing cocaine, the more you feel like you can drink. And so that's like, you know, makes the next day even worse. I would yeah. die. I would instantly die. I can't even drink a cup of coffee. I can't even drink caffeinated. This is decaf. I can't. If I drank caffeinated coffee, you would have to take me to the yeah, hospital. You don't need yeah, that. Yeah. Because I would, it already feels. Like... <laughs> you don't. I mean, you're you're, you're one of those people yeah, who doesn't totally need coffee. Am. Yeah, I, no. you know, there, there are those people. Yeah, I, I like yeah. a trace amount of caffeine, but that's about it. I can't. Chris, right. think about all the other stuff you can get done. Oh shit! <laughs> how long, Stop how much, wasting how much your time. <laughs> think about what you could do if you're not. Hey sleeping. guys, I've started 19 websites in the last 48 hours. <laughs> that extra that extra three hours of sleep you could get. I'm not sleeping. You would just. It's so much get done. Come on. Let's do it. Let's do a Coke episode. No. We'll call it a very special episode of Nerdist. Yeah. <laughs> very special and boldface. It'll never yeah. happen. You'd It'll almost figure something out. Talk over each other even more. Well, we almost yeah. got a guy today, but just <laughs> keep listening. <laughs> yeah. Tune in tomorrow. We might get it. <sighs> but then we'll like, all well, get Well, fuck in... it. Why tune in tomorrow? Let's just keep going. <laughs> we'll all get in tune. We'll all do like, the gulp in the middle of us. And while everyone will be talking, we'll go. <laughs> and then we could just go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't feel like there was a lot of listening on that. <laughs> Tim Kazarinski, a former SNL cast member, says this about cocaine. He says it gives you diarrhea of the mouth but constipation of the brain. Hey, that's which pretty, I think is pretty a, smart. a pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. Do you think we ever? You, you, but he's not the one who was talking about murdering time. No, no, that wasn't that wasn't Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you was Charlie Rocket. You think we get enough shit <laughs> oh. now about about saying that we talk over each other if we were yeah. cocaine? It would just be a a chorus of. Separate ideas all being expressed at the same time. Yes. Yeah. In counterpoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of no, 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 yes, yes. Today we're going to make a lot of statements, and then tomorrow we're going to contradict all of those statements yeah. and have just equally as compelling arguments. The apology episode. <laughs> Listen, we be. said a lot of things. We've never yeah. done like a full apology episode. Yeah. <laughs> I like to feel that every episode is an apology episode. <laughs> yeah. The come down. If we had left some of the things I've said in, you would have to. What are you talking about, man? Never edited anything you've ever... Edit that out. (laughs) 
I li- I don't you because you don't listen to the podcast, you don't know this, but there was a recent episode, the one where Peter Farrelly was on, and you guys did this whole show when I took him, walked him to his car, and you go, oh, Chris is going to edit that out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just for I cut out a second of something that Jonah said, so it sounded edited. Oh, nice. Why'd you have to pick me? Yeah. <laughs> I was either one that had to get edited out. <laughs> Because knowing me, it was probably really funny. Well, fan well, favorite. I'm the fan favorite, so. <laughs> there are no fan favorites anymore. <laughs> yeah, there are. Not me and Joe. Guys, we have guests. Sorry, Michael. Welcome. We peek behind the curtain here. It's just the, I'm sorry. I, f- I fell asleep for a second. You guys yeah, so did the listeners. <laughs> no, I'll cut all that out. So did whoever just reviewed this for the AV Club. <laughs> Stop getting. Don't focus on that shit. You don't focus on that stuff, do you? Are the you, AV do, Club? Do you <laughs> do, you, do you go online and read stuff, or do you not? I don't. I do, I try not to seek it out. But if somebody puts something in front of my face, it's why do you think they do that? You that. know, like when they go, "Oh my God, can you believe what this person said about you?" Like, why would you the, do that? Yeah, I lose respect for those people. You hear that, Jonah? <laughs> I didn't need that email this morning. I don't know. I was in a bad mood this morning. I was in a bad mood. I wonder what that mechanism is. We're like. I think people like being... You know what it is? People, it gives them a certain sense of significance if they deliver the thing to you. Right. They go, look at this. I'm helping you out. You're like, no, yeah. you just ruined my day. Yeah. Did you see that terrible picture of you? <laughs> it was really bad. Here, here, I'll pull it up. I'll pull it, go. Up. Here it is. Here, I'll pull it up. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad. Oh, it's really bad. No, it's bad. Look at... Yeah. yeah. Are you a relatively positive person, do you think? Mm, no. You don't think so? No, I'm a. I wouldn't. I don't know that I'm a pessimist. I don't know. I I I, I guess. Uh, I think I I think I sort of cultivate a, a sort of pessimistic uh, buffer. Sure. But I hold on to some sort of optimism that I don't totally own up to. Sure. For yeah. fear of. My dreams being squashed. Yes, that's it. That's it. Is it? That's sort of. That's it. Is the the pessimism thing gives it because I think particularly with performers, you know, even though you've been working for the last thirteen years, a significant chunk of your performing life there was rejection, and maybe there are still forms of rejection that you still experience now if there are other things that you want to do or they don't work out or whatever. Yeah. And so I think not only do we get conditioned to accept that, but it definitely allows you to control the outcome when you're like, well, this is all going to go to shit anyway. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a weird control thing. Yeah, there's some. I mean, I, I'd like to believe that that underneath that veneer, there's a more sort of hopeful nugget. Yeah. But but I do think I, I do you know, what is it? Hope for the best, expect the worst. I guess. Do you think that means that we'll get crankier as we get older, or do you think that it is? I don't know. God damn it, <laughs> Michael. Um, <laughs> my dad used to be a really serious kind of like in his own head guy all the time and then as he got older he just like oh he's all gushy and like really like oh life is great you know like I really hope that that's what happens the trajectory yeah, yeah. I guess you go one of two directions you know I don't know yeah I hope I hope uh I think I fantasize like uh, there being some sort of release associated with old age before the final release. Right, 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 right. You're talking yeah. about the butt plug? Yeah. <laughs> before rubber, rubber shorts. Well, it's like that, uh, oh, it's like that scene, oh, is that your guy? Oh, is he, yeah. Uh, it looked like he was LA like Times doing thing. a cutthroat. I think oh, he was saying, uh, Thank God you know that what he did? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank- oh! 
No, I didn't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God you know that guy. I just thought, like, yeah. who is that guy that's telling us to wrap it right. up? Yeah. Hey, you guys, I don't like how long you've been in there. I really do hope that's the case, but it's like that Jason Robards speech in Parenthood where he's saying to Steve Martin, like, you never cross the finish line. You never spike the touchdown ball. That always that depressed me so much when oh, I was yeah, a yeah. kid. Yeah, cruel. Because I really do hope that there is that, like, ah, but maybe we're just not conditioned. It's kind of like he's talking about conversations on cocaine. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You never, <laughs> never get there. <laughs> Dad, are you coked up? What is it? What if I am? Life is cocaine. All right, thanks. Was there anything else you wanted to promote or plug while you're here before we? Do you want to promote sorbet? I'm oh. doing a uh, "Kill Your Darlings" a movie. Oh yeah, the movie uh, "Kill Your Darlings" comes yeah. out in October. Excellent. It's uh, it's good. It's about a story about the uh, uh, seminal event during the forming of the Beat Generation. Uh, re- remarkably, a story that hasn't been told until now. It's uh, <laughs> based on a true story. It's really a. Uh, and my character is. Uh, it's not really a spoiler because it's the first frame of the frame of the film. Uh, dies. So I got <gasps> to turn the tables on myself. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That was fun. Cool. Nice. And well, death has to be involved in everything. In, in some way or another. No, yeah. you're going to do like some really silly, you know... Uh, rom-com. Some kind of mm-hmm. rom-com. You ever want to do something like that? Like like silly and light? Yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, we'll get right on that. I do, yeah, I do. I do. I mean, this has felt reasonably silly. It is. <laughs> it is. We try to have some substance to it. I just. There it is. I just want to say. <laughs> For the listeners at home, that's the new Enjoy Your Burrito. That might have been the silliest thing that's ever fucking happened on this podcast. <laughs> and Dunham was so stoic. Just yeah. Hold on. That actually sounds like a Geico commercial. Well, that's sillier than Michael C. Hall doing arm farts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see you at Comic-Con, yeah, possibly. <laughs> Is, yeah, is, is is Ralph Garman monitoring your panel this I year? I believe so. he's great from yeah. the Showbiz beat. Yeah, from Showbiz. Yeah, Ralph's great. From Hollywood Babylon. Uh, well, have fun at Comic Con, and thanks for coming on. And I, I hope you I hope you had a nice time. You're welcome. I'd shake all your hands, but it was just in my armpits. It's just True. covered in armpits. Sweat. Understood. Oh, I just remembered. I, I met you last year at Sarah Silverman's party with Ben Schwartz, who is oh, fucking right. hilarious. Like, he's one hilarious. Of the funniest yeah, he's, people oh, yeah. you could possibly Amazing. know. Yeah, yeah, I love that. guy. Have you done his snow pants show before? I have. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was told me that. Yeah, it's horrifying. I just, you know, basically, I was the go-to burst into tears and masturbate guy. You know, because it's my first thing <laughs> out Nothing's there. Funnier. Time up there. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. funnier than crying and masturbating. It's like, I don't know what yeah. to do. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> this will get him. <laughs> Great choice yeah. for the show. What show? <laughs> the end. Thanks, guys. Enjoy, Brew. That was awesome. That was fun. Thanks, man. I hope you, I hope you had an okay time. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. That's I just right. I don't know if you're like you're holding it like your hand is broken. It's, it looks like it's affecting your hand. Hi, <laughs> right, that was fun. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. 
Inspired by the hit podcast, American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.